This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the division finals are underway and game one is in the books. Game two, just a few days away. Adam Jones and Jordan McIntosh will stop by. The National Lacrosse League Awards will slowly start to be unveiled this week. There's a lacrosse summit coming up. And mid-May means summer ball. All that and more on OTCB. What is going on, lacrosse fans? And welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Some of you might even be listening on iTunes. If you are, high five. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. I am pretty much there all the time. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Well, game one of the division finals is in the book. Are you surprised? Are you shocked? Are you upset? Are you dumbfounded? Are you excited? So many options after the first week of the finals. And yet, so many questions still arise. The biggest question, and I know there's still a lot of people asking this, is what the heck happened to the Colorado Mammoth in the fourth quarter of game one at home inside the Pepsi Center. I don't really have an answer. Most of the people in the Mammoth organization don't have an answer. The good news is, it's a two-game final. And it's not aggregate. This is not soccer. So, as Pat Coyle said, And I said it on the broadcast Saturday night. In this type of scenario, doesn't matter if you lose by 1 or 10. You get to wipe the slate clean. And all you got to do is go on the road and win one more game. It's true for both the Mammoth and the Rock. As Toronto ended up losing to Georgia after jumping out to a 4-1 lead. The Swarm were able to regain themselves and start to flex their muscle just as the rush did. And both number one seeds will take a 1-0 advantage back home for game two. And of course, in this crazy mix-up NLL world, the possibility of a 10-minute minigame does rear its head And if the away teams can continue this winning trend, then we will indeed have those minigames. So home four doesn't necessarily mean good things in the playoffs here in 2017. And for the Mammoth and Rock, they hope that trend continues. As you heard me say off the top of the show, Adam Jones of The Rush and Jordan McIntosh of The Swarm will stop by. I caught up with them earlier in the day. So we'll let you listen to those conversations in a little bit. But we need to go back and talk about what happened respectively in those two games. Let's start with uh, the Toronto Rock game, which was the first game on the schedule. 
And everything kind of seemed to be going well for Toronto in that game. They jumped out to a one nothing lead sorry, at the end of the first quarter. And then as the game went on, they actually had a 4-1 lead in that game. About a third of the way through the second quarter. Brett Hickey scored from Reed Reinholdt and Stefan LeBlanc to make it 4-1. And everything seemed to be A-OK in Rockland. Brandon Miller got the start in place of Nick Rose, which kind of shocked some people. However, it sounded like from the Rock camp that they had a little more confidence in B. Miller after the way that the playoffs had started and the regular season had ended. And Matt Sawyer just went with his gut feeling, decided to start Brandon Miller. And for the most part, B. Miller didn't play that bad. He only gave up nine goals and made 45 saves. So Miller played quite well. And he gave them a shot early on in that contest. As I said, they were up 4-1 and they seemed to be in control. But when Jordan Hall scored that goal with six minutes or so left in the second quarter, it started a run for the Swarm that the Rock just could not handle. Including that Hall goal, Georgia went on a 10-4 run over the rest of that game, and Toronto didn't have an answer. Toronto got a couple extra man goals late to make it a closer game. Jordan McIntosh had an empty net unassisted goal that really iced it. But in a very almost penalty-free game, these two teams were allowed to run by the officials. Um, both refer- or All three referees seemed to put their whistles in their pockets and let the boys do their thing, which I don't mind. I mentioned this last week. As long as the referees are consistent, I don't mind if they put the whistles away. And they seem to do that in Toronto as Chris Williams, Todd Branch, and Matt Garrison decided to only call four penalties all game. The week before in Vancouver, there was only two penalties called as Bryce Sweeting uh, got a double minor and that was it. And when this Georgia team is allowed to play freewheeling lacrosse, they are tough to stop. But that's not to say Toronto can't compete with the Georgia Swarm because they've shown that they can. And they hit a bit of a rough patch in that second half and they just couldn't find an answer for Georgia. But I think they'll be better when they go back down south Saturday night for game two. I'm not saying that they're going to win that game. I'd love to see them win that game and force a minigame. As much as I'm not a big fan of the minigame, more lacrosse is better for me anyway. So would love to see The Rock come back, win game two, and force a minigame, just like I would love to see the Mammoth win game two and win the minigame. That mostly is for personal investment. And I think they can do it as well. But the way that they played in that fourth quarter, eek. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's stay with the Georgia Swarm. 
the thing I love most about this Swarm team is the fact that it doesn't always have to be Lyle. It doesn't. It doesn't even have to be all about Randy's stats. And in an 11-goal game, they their number one point getter was Joel White. Five points for Whitey. And he is becoming a an integral part of that organization. He came in late in the year and just stepped right back in within, without missing a beat. And he is really supplanting himself as one of the best two-way guys in the game of lacrosse. If he hadn't missed 11 games, he'd definitely be in the conversation for transition player of the year. Easily. He was an absolute beast again. He is so fluid and so dynamic picking up the ball and running in transition that it is very Jay Jalbert-like. And he was a force and really kickstarted that team out of the back end. And then you get Shane Jackson chipping in with four, which is huge because, again, that takes pressure off of the Thompsons and Jordan Hall and Randy Stotts. On the other side of the ball, the Rock just couldn't really get anything going. Only Casey Behrens and Dan Lintner were able to get more than just one goal on the evening. And when they go back and look at the tapes and, and they watch this and break it down, I think they're going to see some things that they can fix. I think they can find some holes in that Georgia defense that they can exploit. And I think defensively they can tweak some things to not allow those extra possessions and in-close shots on Brandon Miller that the Swarm were getting. I think game two is going to be a fantastic contest between these two clubs. And when they do go to battle, everybody's fingers are crossed that there's 10,000 people in that arena. And the Swarm are pushing it heavy in hopes to get 10K. They're, they've labeled it 10K Day. And they are really trying to pack that arena. And it would be incredible to see that happen. I don't know how they're going to do it. I know they have reduced ticket prices. I know they've been really pushing it on social media. And they've been doing news blitzes. And they've been getting any and all walks of athlete to try and help cross-promote the game. And for the sake of the National Lacrosse League, for the optics of the game as a Twitter game of the week, for everything that's going to be going on. I truly hope that it is a jam-packed crowd down in Georgia. One last thought on that game before we go. Um, Jamie Dowick sent out a very angry tweet, I think you could call it directed towards the Nash Lacrosse League. And he was none too pleased with referee Todd the Branch after the game. 
And he said, quote, can't wait to hear what feeble excuse the NRL gives me for number 12's performance last night. Absolutely embarrassing. Hashtag brutal. Hashtag Bush League. Now, as being somebody who has received a reprimand from the National Lacrosse League for just liking a tweet, I cannot begin to imagine what they will do to Jamie Dowick after that tweet. Now, I haven't closely examined the game film, and you can't always get a good idea um, of what's going on as when you're not in attendance because you can only see what the cameras show you. So I don't know to what extent Jamie Davick was was unhappy with Todd LeBranch's performance, but just by the wording of that tweet, he's none too pleased. So we'll see what kind of... I'm guessing Davick's just going to get a fine of some sort. There's not really much else you can do to the guy. But he's always been one to speak his mind, and he was very adamant with that tweet that he wasn't pleased with the officiating Saturday night. I know there were a couple um, goal reviews that didn't go the Rock's way. That could be part of it. Sometimes you just kind of got to blow some steam. And oftentimes, sometimes GMs or coaches will do this to try to take away from their team, take all the attention off the team and put it on them. So this could be that, but I don't think it is. Um, I think Jamie was just truthfully upset with what he saw on the floor from the officiating crew. And I'm sure he hopes that he gets some new officials for game two. I'm not sure how uh, Brian Lemon is assigning the games, if it's going to be the same three guys for the entire series. But we'll wait and see. Game two of the East Finals goes Saturday down south in Georgia. And it will be live on NLL TV as always. And Jordan McIntosh of the Georgia Swarm will be in attendance for that game, and he continues to be one of their most vocal leaders, both on and off the floor. And he's been with this club for quite some time now, six years, if I am correct, dating back to his time in Minnesota. And I was able to catch up with J-Mac earlier on Tuesday, and I asked him, What was the feeling on that bench when the Rock were able to jump out to an early 4-1 lead? Yeah, I think uh, actually talking about Pooley, it's something that he's kind of always uh, talked about the whole season is that we're going to experience a different game every single week. You know, not every week is going to be the same in terms of, you know, how the game goes. And I think that that one caught us a little bit by surprise. Obviously, our offense has been kind of a uh, uh, lightning rod all season and they got off to a little bit of a slow start but uh, the one thing that that Eddie always you know kind of instills with us is um, don't freak out over a first half I mean you know a lot of things can change Um, we've had a couple games this year where we've had really bad first halves really good first halves and 
uh, the result has been different every time. So don't freak out over the first half. Keep it at a manageable distance, and I think we did a good job of that defensively to, to let us come back in the second. You talk about uh, the importance of Mike Poulin. I don't think there was a bigger impact off-season free agent signing than him. What's he meant to this club um, just from the moment that, that he signed the first day of free agency? Yeah, I think uh, I think Mike's uh, presence on the team does a lot more than in the goal, and I think anyone that's ever played with him kind of knows that. Um, he's he's definitely uh, the most one of the most liked guys on the team. He brings a ton of energy every week, but at the same time, he really knows when to dial it in, and uh, he really takes the game with a, a very seriously and with a lot of passion. And I think that was something that uh, he. You know, being one of the older guys on the team, I've I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed hearing him, uh, you know, in some of his past experiences, and I think it's really helped some of the younger guys on our team. So he's been he's been incredible, obviously, in the goal, but uh, the stuff he's doing off the floor for us is uh, is really huge. Is it weird to think of yourself as one of the oldest guys on the team? It is. It is. <laughs> I think. I mean, last year I was I, I was twenty. 26, and I think I was like, other than like Mitch Belisle and a couple other guys, I think I was like one of the oldest guys on the yeah. team. So I always tell Pooley and Halsey, I'm happy they came this year. <laughs> Got a couple of great beards on the team. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talk about Jordan Hall. Obviously, uh, he's meant a lot to your club as well with the injury to Jesse King. Uh, you've obviously known Halsey for quite some time. What's the impact that, that he's had on this club uh, just as, as a veteran presence able to calm that young offense down? Yeah, another guy, uh, huge off the floor as well. Uh, and again, he could talk to any of his teammates. Uh, he brings, he brings a lot of, uh, a lot of fun to the, to the off the floor stuff. He makes, you know, every weekend you're excited to get down to whatever city you're playing with. Uh, he's really taken over some of the fun things on the team, like our, our kangaroo court and things like that. Yeah. But on yeah. the floor, I think he, he does, he's just a, an amazing guy to kind of look up to as an offensive player because, uh, he's very unselfish. Um, every single shift, he does whatever's needed, you know, whether that's a big pick for Shane, um, you know, a nice goal, a big pass. Um, he's a very unselfish player. And I think from a from a, uh, a leadership perspective, having someone in that's won some championships in the league mm-hmm. has been really big. Does that, does that play a big role? Because everyone kind of talks about, you know, that veteran presence and leadership and, and that playoff experience. How much do the younger guys – you know, the stats and the palaces and the Thompsons rely on, on a guy like Jordan Hall and Mikey Poole who have been there before. Yeah, I think uh, – I definitely think it plays a big role. I don't think it plays as big of a role as some people make it out to be. And, and that really comes down to – like, if you think about a Randy Stats, you know, Lyle and, and Miles and, and all those guys, they've all played in enormous games, whether it was in mm-hmm. college or junior um, so, you know, they, they've had those kind of experiences where the pressure has been at the, the highest level. Um, but I definitely think the NLL is a different animal. And uh, obviously now with kind of this series, you really haven't played a series since, you know, senior or junior. So I think managing a series, definitely uh, you want to rely on those guys that have had that playoff experience. You guys were able to, to shut down a very potent Toronto offense as that game went on. Um, what was the key for you guys to not allow, uh, you know, the Shrivers and the Hickeys and the Littners to get open and get time and space? 
and allow Mikey Poulin to see more shots. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like you said, they have so many weapons and they're, they're dynamic weapons. Every guy has a, a little bit of a different skill set. Obviously, you know, Schreiber and McCardle are crazy athletic and can really dominate you and, and, and get to the middle of the floor if, if you let them one-on-one. And then they have kind of those powerful guys like Hickey and LeBlanc that are just so strong they get underneath they can score from the outside. So, you know, we, we're, we're, we're trying to do whatever we can to, to limit, uh, you know, their touches and, and limit, you know, their, their free hands on the outside for shooting. Obviously, you know, they got inside on us a little bit and, and mm-hmm. luckily Pooley was able to, to make some big saves. But again, with, with really talented offensive players, you're just trying to limit time and space for them and, and hopefully, you know, knock down some shots, knock down some passes and, and kind of get them out of their rhythm. It's crazy to think that Joel White only played seven games this year in the regular season, um, and yet he's been such a huge part of this organization for a long time. What's been the return of him been like for your group and just giving yourself another defensive transition weapon? Yeah, Joel has uh, played with Joel for a long time, both outdoor and indoor, and really good, really good buddies and good friends. And uh, He's just been a, an amazing guy to play with because – you know what you're going to get uh, every single night. You know, no matter what, he's going to bust his ass, uh, bust his butt, sorry, <laughs> uh, every single shift. And I think something that's, that's been really cool to see is, is kind of since he's moved over um, to the Swarm, is he's, he's really kind of flourished as a, uh, as a transition player. I think he, his hands and his, you know, his moves on breakaways, his, his threat in transition to score goals has kind of gone through the roof. And, I mean, you look at a game like last week, he – had five points and like yeah. I don't know some crazy loose ball number fourteen. <laughs> um, so he's really yeah. So he he's really kind of flourishing uh, as a as a as a scoring threat out of the back end. And you add that to all the all the great stuff he does and picking up passes, scooping up loose balls. It makes him probably the most in my eyes the most dynamic and probably the best transition player in the league. He loves to run over guys too, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he works out a little bit and he <laughs> likes to show that off. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so this, so you guys get that, it's, it's a huge win to be able to get that one on the road. It, it gives you guys confidence to go back home knowing that, uh, you just have to win that final game and, and avoid the mini game. What's the mindset of your group knowing that you get home floor advantage here in game two? Yeah, Eddie calls it, uh, like the back of the shampoo bottle. You, you rinse and repeat. Um, so he, he loves that line. Uh, you know, we're, we're obviously going to, going to watch the game film, have some meetings throughout the week, really kind of see what, what we did well, why we were successful, but at the same time, you know, why were we vulnerable on a couple inside shots, try and make those adjustments. And I think, uh, you know, we can't go into this next weekend thinking about mini games or things like that. We just mm-hmm. need to focus on that first 60 minutes and, and uh, hopefully get the job done then. But we know Toronto's doing the same thing. They're they're looking at the tape. They're looking at ways that they can be done offensively, and uh, we got to be ready for those adjustments as well. I know you guys, as players, you don't want to think about it, and you want to keep it as far away from your mind. But obviously, with, with 10K Day coming up, and, and the Swarm organization wanting to put you know 10,000 fans inside the arena and sell that place out, th- does that? sink in and does that affect you guys because it's obviously had to have been tough playing down there uh without the you know the success of some fan support you guys have wanted but does that 
ever weigh on you guys at all? Um, I think sometimes it, it may, you know, you, you obviously it's, you know, it's more fun to play in, in, in front of massive crowds and, and, you know, that's, that's our goal and that's, that's what we'd like. And, yeah. You know, we, we always have that meeting at the beginning of the year. Um, it's something that Eddie always brings up to us is, you know, the team is, is also kind of in that ticket selling business. So what can we control in terms of selling tickets and that's, you know, putting a good product on the floor. So, Obviously, this year we've we've been able to do that, and I think you know with this push here for the playoff game, I think we're going to expect some some really great numbers, and hopefully, you know the people that come out to this playoff game and and hopefully see a great game, um, you know they're, they're going to be coming back and, and be lifelong fans. I think, you know, it's just uh, it's kind of a uh, it's a tough situation, but at the same yeah. time, I think our team in Georgia does a really really great job at promoting us. And now you you kind of see us starting to get some more recognition in the in the mainstream Atlanta media, whether it's you know former athletes, other athletes from other sports starting to help us promote this game. I think that's uh, that's exciting and a huge step in the right direction. Um, before I let you go, uh, you guys went for a little trip to Nashville uh, last month. <laughs> best without sleeves on their cowboy shirt. Hmm, that's a good question. I'm going to say, obviously, everyone's going to say Lyle. He's, you know, he's a pretty strong kid. Yeah, yeah. He's got big muscles. Uh, I'm going to go with Leo Sturos, though. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Connor Sellers. A couple of rookies. Um, they decided to go out and get matching shirts. No matter what they tell you, they had matching shirts. On. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was really cute. Yeah, that was that was a fun trip uh, that we were able to do. We, uh, yeah, we all got a team set of cowboy boots. And, you know, a little team bonding kind of in the, in the middle of the season. So, yeah, uh, we were fortunate to be able to do that together. Yeah, Those are those are awesome trips to do. And uh, you guys have really come together over the past little while. It's crazy to see, you know, all this time when the team was in Minnesota and they were trading away players for draft picks and everyone was very curious to see what John Orlotta was going to do. And it's all kind of paid off now. And you guys are one of the top teams, if not the top team in the National Lacrosse League. It's, it's nice to see everything kind of pay off in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've been here for my sixth year and, and obviously been with John for those six years. Mm-hmm. I've seen some, some different players come and go. And, uh, you know, the one thing about John is he's he's always kind of had a vision for the team and what he wanted. And, uh, I'm excited to kind of be here and, and be a part of, of kind of his long-term vision. I know he's worked really hard at it. He's had some some people, you know, look at him weird, look at him the wrong way for things that he's done over the years, but he's always kind of stuck to his guns and stuck to his plan, and obviously this year it's it's panning out. So really want to win a, a championship for him and bring him back uh, a ring because uh, I think that would be really exciting. There he is, Jordan McIntosh of the Georgia Swarm, wanting to bring a title to Georgia and put a big smile on John Arlotta's face after all that he has been through and all that he has done to try and find a winning solution both on and off the floor for this Swarm franchise. And I have to kind of say that it would be a cool-ish story after everything that he's done and been through that he would get the championship in Georgia. And after everything that that franchise has been through down there in their first year and a bit, 
two years almost. John Arlotta has done everything that he felt in his mind was right for his club's future. And many of us disagreed with a lot of his moves, especially in the early days of the Swarm when they were in Minnesota and some of the bodies that he traded and some of the moves that he made, even some of the draft picks that he made. Then when he was threatening to leave and he was, in a sense, begging for the corporate world of St. Paul and Minneapolis to get on board with the Swarm Club to help keep them there, and then pulling the chute, packing up the vans, and transporting the Swarm down to Duluth. A lot of people didn't think they even stood a chance. On floor, we always knew they were a good club. And strangely enough, all those moves that our lot of made eventually panned out into the Thompsons and Stats, Jesse King. They were able to get some really good bodies. In the offseason, they get Jordan Hall and Mike Poulin. They're able to convince Joel White to come back. They made some really good moves, and they are the top team in the National Cross League. And they are one game away from hosting the National Lacrosse League Finals and having home floor. Despite having a ridiculous attendance total, they are one of the best teams in the NLL, if not the best team. So, like them or not, you have to take your hat off to John Arlotta and probably give some credit to Eddie Como for all that they have done over the past few years to make this team a contender and to make them a very entertaining team to watch. It's just a shame that not more people are going to watch them. So fingers crossed that 10K day really takes off down south and they pack that place. That's what I'm hoping for. Out west, the Mammoth are in a bit of a pickle. They have a lot of questions to ask, a lot of answers to find. But just like The Rock, all they got to do is win one game. And then they can reset and find something for 10 minutes. They can't go in worrying about the minigame. All they have to do is just focus on winning that first game. But more importantly, they need to figure out what the heck happened in that fourth quarter. It was 2-2 after one, 5-5 after two, 9-8 Saskatchewan after three, as the teams flip-flop back and forth pretty much the entire game. And during the broadcast, I looked at Jamie Shuchuk, and and he looked back, and we said, you know, this team is right there. The Mammoth are right there. They just have to make sure the first five minutes of that fourth quarter, they don't allow the rush to gain any momentum. 
And I've said on this show, I remember saying it last year, and it was kind of something that always stood out to me about this Rush Club, was they always seem to find a second gear in the fourth quarter. And they skipped right over that second gear, went right to fifth. It was shocking, to say the least, to see the Mammoth give up nine goals in one quarter alone. They gave up seven straight. And when Mark Matthews scored two goals in the first two minutes, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't good. It went from a one-goal lead to a three-goal lead in the span of two minutes. And then it was a five-goal lead four minutes later. And then you started to scratch your head. And everything seemed to be going in. Everything went the rush's way in that quarter. Every bounce fell into a rush stick. Every post was hit by a mammoth player and went out. Every screenshot that the Rush were throwing somehow found its way through bodies and passed Dylan Ward. And I'm not saying that Saskatchewan was getting lucky because that's not it at all. It wasn't like lucky bounces. It was just good, solid lacrosse. And Colorado just didn't have an answer. They kept riding Dylan Ward in hopes that he could get them a stop. It never came, and it didn't happen until it was a six- or seven-goal lead late in that game that they finally pulled Dylan Ward and put Alex Bouquet in. Bouquet didn't fare much better, unfortunately, as he gave up three goals on four shots that he faced. The first two shots he faced went in. They both came off the stick of Adam Jones. Jonesy had a second-half sock trick. He had four goals in the fourth quarter alone. And we'll get into this when we talk to him, when I let you listen to the conversation that he had. But he had a personal beef with one fan in particular, and it just fired him up. The old saying of don't poke the bear came full in effect last Saturday in Denver. Jonesy was snake bit in the first half. He just couldn't buy a goal. And then all of a sudden in that second half, he just started to find a bit of a rhythm, started to find time and space, and everything started to go in. And every time he scored a goal in that fourth quarter, he looked right at one fan in particular, pointed at him, had a few words, went back to the bench, gave him an ice stare. Like, it was a personal mission for Jonesy to rub it in that guy's face. It wasn't anything against, you know, the mammoth. It was, you know what, this is how it's going to happen, and I'm going to do it, and it's going to be all on that guy. It was incredible to watch because you rarely see that. You rarely see that in lacrosse because with the boards there, there's not always that direct fan interaction. Like, remember Reggie Miller and Spike Lee back in the old NBA days? Where, you know, Spike Lee and and Reggie Miller are literally going back and forth at each other every possession. You don't really have that direct fan-player interaction in lacrosse because of the glass. 
But somehow Jonesy and this guy got into it. And man, did Jones take offense. And did he ever use that as fire? You take away that the rest of that game, and it's a pretty even game. But that fourth quarter is something that the Mammoth need to figure out. Where did their offense go? And how come after 45 minutes of sound defense, were the Rush able to blow things up and exploit them all over the floor? I have some answers. There was a lot of ball watching. There was some fantastic ball movement and footwork from Saskatchewan. The Mammoth were oftentimes too focused on double teaming and sliding. And because of that, they were leaving guys open on the backside. But more importantly, it was just a concerted effort by the Rush to move the ball be unselfish with the ball and expose the Mammoth defense at the back end. And they did it very, very well. And the Mammoth are going to have to watch the... They don't really need to watch the first through third quarter. All they need to do is watch that final 15 minutes to figure out where they went wrong. Offensively, the only goal they scored that entire quarter was a penalty shot by Zach Greer. That was the only goal they had in the entire fourth quarter. Their offense disappeared. Credit the rush defense as they continued to pressure the offense. They didn't let them get settled. And it wasn't even what they were really worried about because one of the things the Mammoth were worried about was the up-floor press from the rush. That didn't really affect them at all. They were able to get the ball up the floor. They were able to get in their offensive sets. But once they were on the other side of center, Saskatchewan didn't give them any room to breathe. Aaron Bold settled down. The defense that was playing without captain Chris Corbeil really settled down. They were knocking passes down. They were battling harder for loose balls. They weren't allowing the Mammoth to get inside and those outside shots, Aaron Bull just ate up. And so, the Rush have a one nothing lead heading back to Tell Center this Saturday. And the aforementioned Adam Jones will be there. It's a Saturday game, so he doesn't have to worry about teaching. Doesn't have to worry about missing the game. And now that he is a proud member of the Rush, he doesn't have to worry about long travel and extra flights and missing games. And that's where our conversation started, is I asked him how much more he's enjoying the shorter travel. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, you know, it's definitely a change, and um, the travel schedule does suit my life a little bit better. And, um, you know, just a lot of the little, little things. You know, my flights on Fridays usually seem to be direct rather than... Um, been connecting all the time and mm-hmm. and yeah, just in general the travel has been awesome and um i've enjoyed my time in saskatchewan um, so far obviously the, the trade isn't something that uh, anybody really wants to go to what were your thoughts when when the trade was made during the offseason um you know i, I wasn't surprised um yeah. steve and i kind of had conversations about this um in previous years so um i wasn't surprised but i was definitely excited to be a part of of the rush and 
Um, you know, they've had a good team for the last couple of years, good leadership group, and um, Derek Keenan is one of the best coaches. So um, when I found out, I was I was super pumped and yeah. told my family, and, um, you know, things have been awesome so far. Did, did it take you a while to adjust to a new system? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, being on one team for five years, you develop habits that you have to be able to break in order to fit into the new into the new system and um you know and i've had to do things that i'm not used to doing in the past and yeah it's stuff that is you know things that have made me a better you know team player overall so um you know i definitely think i've become a better better player and a more complete player um this year than in years past so let's go back to last saturday in colorado uh another chance for you to go back to a place where you had a lot of good memories um and it it was a slow start for you guys, but you finally started to find your rhythm uh, late in that first quarter. Was that just a case of maybe Colorado having the advantage of, of being jacked up with the home environment and everything going on that, that caused you guys to kind of get off to a bit of a slow start? You know, I think it's a mixture of things. Um, you know, Colorado was an awesome team. So um, when it was a close game, no one was surprised. But there's always that feeling out period that I think teams have in playoffs, knowing that it's such a short run right you get two games and then a 10 minute mini game so i feel like the first half was just a feel out kind of half to see you know what both teams have and um you know luckily we're, we're on the, the good end of the end of the game so um but yeah like i think you know both teams are battling harder than um you know it was a close game until the fourth quarter and let's go to that fourth quarter because what what changed do you think because I know the Mammoth are still really trying to figure that one out. And, you know, it was a one-goal game going into that fourth quarter. You guys outscored them 9-1 to one in a 15-minute span, which is something that we don't often see in this league. We see runs, but nothing of that magnitude. What what changed for you guys, do you think? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think, um, you know, we had a couple big plays there early in the fourth. Um, you know, Mark had a couple key goals yeah. there to put us up by, I think, two or three. and. Um, you know, momentum's contagious in this league, and uh, you know our, our D just you know shut the door in the last half of the game. And um, you know when you see your defense shutting guys down, it gives your offense confidence. So um, you know I think that's kind of what happened, and that was the case on Saturday. Yeah, you guys went on a, a seven-goal run to start that fourth quarter. You seem to have um, a bit of anger in yourself as that fourth quarter went on, and it wasn't evil anger it was mainly pointed towards one fan uh that was kind of having a bit of a battle with you but did you feed off that or or was it just um just plain old you getting open and getting shots that you liked um i don't know i think i think it was a bit of both um you know it's it's a lot of stress coming into a a playoff series when you've never won one yeah <laughs> there's never, never won a playoff game right so that's it's it's stressful and um you know, so it was a stressful week preparing and mentally and physically to get ready to, for the game. And, um, yeah, there was a fan in the corner giving me the finger and swearing at me all second half. So um, I definitely fed off that a little bit. Um, I'm hoping the fans in Colorado don't think I was doing it to all the fans. It was just yeah. towards just one guy who was, who was being belligerent in the stands. So, um, and, again, emotions were high, and it's a part of the game. But, uh, you know, I fed off it a little bit, but I think – more importantly, um, you know, we were just focusing on, on winning and, and putting the nail in the coffin um, as much as we could to eliminate their chance of coming back in the fourth. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I, li- I like about the rush offense, it's, well, the one thing I like about the swarm offense is, is there's no 
egos. There's no guy that's a me guy. I want the ball in this last second possession. You guys move the ball so well. Is it fun playing in a system like Derek Keenan's offense that allows you guys to be so free-spirited and three-wheeling? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's I think part of the reason why they've they've been successful in in the past. Um, you know, if you have a a balanced offense, it's tough to game plan against. Um, you know, if you shut Mark off, then there's three or four other guys who can put the ball in the back of the net, and when you have that depth, it's uh, you know it's a recipe to um, you know to go far in the playoffs, and I think. Absolutely. And and you know what? It also eliminates the stress of people having to to do too much. I think if if you just go out and do your job, good things happen. And um, you know, it's a good system that our coaches have put in, and um, everyone seems to buy in. And yeah, there's no egos. So you know, you could have zero points and get a win, and everyone's equally as, as happy. So um, if it's not one guy, then it can be someone else. And you know, that keeps everyone's confidence up, and and it makes you better as a team. You played, you know, the first part of your career in Denver where the crowds were incredible. Now you go to Saskatoon, a fairly new market, and the crowds are just as wild and crazy. What's the difference between the two markets uh, from your vantage point? You know what? Um, not not too much, to be honest. I know, you know, both fan bases are awesome. Um, yeah. You know, second to none in the league. And um, it definitely adds that six-man sense, and it's, it's tough to be a visiting team on either end. So, um you know they're both great organizations and great fan bases and i think um you know i think it's going to continue to be that, that way um i don't know the last time there was a seat left to be sold in um Saskatoon since i've been yeah. here so um i think the one the one game a bus came a week early and our owner was out putting chairs in certain sections because it was <laughs> overbooked and they needed to get yeah. the people in so um you know they're both great places to play so now you guys get to go home Saturday night, game two of the West Finals. What's the message uh, from Coach Keenan as you guys prepare for a very important game at home? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the switch was actually kind of turned on Saturday night after the game. We celebrated for about 10 minutes, and and then we said that we're a long way from being done. And um, we know that, uh, especially with that with that 10 minute mini game, you know, you don't you don't want to have to rely on that. So, um, you know, we're just focusing on on getting better and. and continuing the momentum that we started last weekend and um you know the last thing we want to do is, is to have to play a mini game so we're focusing on you know working hard and hopefully we can get the same result as we did last weekend you talk about your your first playoff win and i know you know coatsy and holding and and some of those guys on on denver and colorado got their first win uh last week or two weekends ago in vancouver what did it feel like for you was it a bit of a monkey off your back to to finally check that box in your nrl career yeah i mean uh you don't want to be that guy who who plays for 10 years and never wins a playoff game. Yeah. So um, to say that I wasn't thinking about that going into the game would be a lie. And, um, you know, we were joking after the game. I said, thanks, boys. You helped me get my first playoff win. And yeah. half of them were surprised because well, I'm one of the older guys on, on on the rush. So they're like, really? I'm like, yep. And they're kind of surprised. And it was a bit of a joke. But uh, yeah. now that that's over with, I think um, the focus now is just to keep keep going keep um putting a foot on the gas and um hopefully we can get a couple more wins yeah here you are one of the older guys just getting your first win all these young guys have pretty much won everything they've been through ever since they've become in the rush it's got to be kind of annoying to to see them boasting about all their wins and you just have your first one 
Well, I'll be honest with you. They don't talk about it too much. And yes, um, I like it that way. I, I believe in karma and superstition and, um, you know, I, I prefer they haven't won any so that they're not talking about it and jinxing it. So, um, again, they're, we're a pretty calm group and that's never really brought up in the dressing room. We're focused on, uh, on here and now and, um, we're off to a good start. Jonesy, it's always a pleasure, my man. Uh, as much as I hated calling uh, your six goals, it was, it was a treat to watch. And uh, you put on a performance in front of the Denver crowd that uh, they hated, but I'm sure some of them rejoiced about some of those glory days with you in a mammoth uniform. Pleasure catching up, and uh, I'll see you Saturday in Saskatoon. Awesome. Thanks, Bob Teddy. That's Adam Jones of the Saskatchewan Rush ahead of Saturday's Game 2 of the West Division Finals. And the battle between Jones and Greer was something that, you know, we all kind of wanted to keep track on as the year went on. And Jonesy had nine points in game one. Zach Greer had three. Now, over the course of the whole season, Zach Greer had 49 points in 13 games, while Adam Jones played a full, almost a full season. He had 16 games and 57 points. So if it wasn't for the injuries that Zach Greer had, In the later part of that year, he probably would have put up equal, if not more, impressive numbers than Adam Jones did. But I think both teams have to be happy with the production that they got. And I think Jonesy's pretty happy there. You know, you heard him talk about it. It was a bit of adjustment, playing a different style and and having a different role with this club. You know, he was kind of 1A in Colorado, along with John Grant Jr. on that left side. Now he comes to the rush, and Mark Matthews is the number one guy, so he's got to play that secondary role. And he's got to find a different style of his game. He's got to morph it into um, a style that works with Mark and that works with the other guys on that floor and that offense. And it took him a while. But once he got comfortable and, and once he understand Coach Keenan's system and and – Comer's system, he understood that, you know, he could make it work, and he did. And just like Zach Greer, took him a little while to work his way into the Mammoth system and what Coach Chris Gill and Dan Stroop were doing out that front door. You know, he what he had, six points in his first game, and, and he really started, he, he hit the ground running in his first game of the Mammoth, and he contributed all year long. And it is unfortunate that he ran into some injury troubles later on in the season that kind of took him in and out of the lineup. But the Mammoth were able to bounce back, and and they had some good depth that allowed them to not be as exposed without him in the lineup as one might have thought. So I think both teams are happy with the production they got out of their trade pieces. And it'll be interesting to see how the Mammoth bounce back in game two. Like I said, you could scratch that fourth quarter off and be happy with the way the team played for three quarters, but it you can't, right? You have to blow that fourth quarter up into a big projector screen and stare at it with wide eyes and understand what happened and why it can't happen again. A bad quarter, yes. 
but it was the way they responded. It'll be it, and it will be the way they respond after that fourth quarter coming into this game that will really be a true test of character for everybody in that Mammoth locker room. They didn't have an answer in game. They just couldn't figure it out. And there was no real retaliation or pushback or anything. You know, Bryce Sweeting tried at the end of the game to engage Marty Dinsdale. That was never going to happen. And at that point, it was too little too late. But like we talked about earlier, the best thing about this format is that total goals don't count. And it's two games. So they can just completely wash it from their memory after they learn from it and after they dissect the film. They can let it burn, let it sink, let it fester. But when Saturday comes, both teams, really, and all four teams, have to just forget about game one and focus solely on game two. For the swarm and for the rush, you can't have that seed of doubt in the back of your mind of, or even the safety net of, well, if we lose, we have the minigame. You can't think like that. And for the Mammoth and for the Rock, you can't be thinking, oh, please get us to the minigame. Please get us to the minigame. You have to focus on just the game at hand. And I think it's going to give us some pretty fantastic lacrosse. The good thing for the Mammoth is that they really play well in Saskatchewan. The two games that they played there, they lost by a goal each. Um, the one game was in overtime. The other game, they scored right at late in that game when the Mammoth really feel that 30-second shot clock went and the goal came after a buzzer and should never have counted. But regardless, they match up and they play quite well in that arena. And I can't remember who said it to me after the game. But players, oh, it was Jamie Shuchuk in our in our broadcast, at the end of our broadcast. He said, visiting players often really get up to come into Denver or go into Buffalo or Calgary or Saskatoon and play in those games because the environment is so electric and because the fans are so loud and boisterous and the energy is there. And it just fires you up because you're playing in a jam-packed arena. And so that is a good thing for Colorado. Not that they don't like playing at home, but they play quite well on the road. And if they can find what worked in the early parts of that game for them, then I think they'll be okay. But the biggest thing is, and this goes for the Toronto Rock as well, you cannot allow those offenses of Georgia and Saskatchewan to gain momentum and start to feel the flow. You can't allow their defense to gain confidence. You can't allow their goaltender to start stepping out top of his crease and playing with a lot more confidence. You have to get to the front of the net. You got to bury your chances. Defensively, you have to knock everybody on their ass as often as you can. Make them pay for cutting the middle. Pick up every loose ball. Don't give multiple resets. Run the ball in transition and capitalize on your opportunities. You could bullet point all those. They'd probably be identical to all four teams' MOs going into game two. 
And that's what's going to make this weeding very, this weekend very, very exciting. It is that time of year where NLL awards will start to come out. And after checking with Ashley Dabb of the NLL, all general managers' votes had to be in by today, which was kind of confusing because we are two weeks into the playoffs. Playoffs? Um, and so technically... Some people could allow their votes to be swayed by what happened in the first two weeks of the playoffs. Because the voting is supposed to be generally and strictly based on regular season play. So hopefully these extra two weeks doesn't sway anybody's vote or change any of their decisions. Because that would really be unfortunate. So, ballots were due today. Nominees will start to roll out, I believe, on the 17th, which is Wednesday. And I believe they're going to continue doing it in the same format as they've done the past few years. I didn't get a straight answer from the league. But my guess is that they will announce the three finalists. For the awards, and then they will allow all the voting members a chance to vote, and we will know the winners come September. I know. Boggles my mind, too. But it's the way they do it, the way they've been doing it for the past few years, and I have a feeling the way they're going to keep doing it for quite some time. So, Uh, Starting Wednesday, I believe we will start to see some finalists for the awards. Uh, General manager, coach, transition, defensive, offensive, MVP, goaltender, rookie, unsung hero, all that. I think there's going to be some shocking winners in some and some very close results in the others. Because... I know, according to Stephen Stamp, in our IL awards, there was some interesting nominees and some very close battles. So stay tuned. Speaking of end of the year stuff, the Nash Lacrosse League did indeed announce when the finals were going to be. And generally, in years past, they've just been every week and it's just been a straight succession semifinals finals or divisional semifinals divisional finals final finals well this year they're taking an extra week off between the divisional finals and the finals and it has some people really scratching their heads as to why and there are two main reasons well three Three reasons why this is happening. One, the arena in Georgia is booked that weekend for high school graduation. So if the Swarm were to be the host team, they wouldn't have been able to get in. They wouldn't have had an arena to play in. So by waiting a week, 
If they are the number one seed and they do advance, then they can get that game. The second reasoning is by giving the extra week or two weeks or three weeks, whatever it ends up being, it gives teams more time to sell tickets, which is a positive thing because as we saw with Vancouver, as we saw with Toronto, and as we saw with Colorado, only having one week to sell a playoff game is tough. And, you know, I've often said, you know, people use it as an excuse. And it is, but it is truly truthful. When I spoke with Dan Carey of the Mammoth about it, you know, when I was, I was asking, you know, how's the crowd going to be Saturday night in Colorado? He goes, I don't know. And I'm like, really? And that, it just, it struck me as rabid as the fan base is for the Mammoth that he might be questioning how big the crowd was going to be. And he said, you know what? You're going to get, you know, your six, seven, eight thousand people. I can't remember what their season ticket holder numbers. You're going to get that number. And then you're going to get the diehard single game buyers. But everybody else, you know, often comes as group or walk-ups or special tickets, whatever it may be. So you don't always have that consistency. And that works with every team. So, you know, they got a pretty decent walk-up. They had 11,000 or so in the building. Toronto had atrocious numbers, and it looked atrocious. And they were a victim of only having a week to market that final game. And it's really been unfortunate because the Rocks' attendance numbers have been on a decline, and the two playoff games that they've hosted... They haven't been able to get over 8,000 people. Heck, they haven't been able to get the 7,500. So giving teams a little more time to market for the finals is okay. I get it. But again, you're... Hold on. I'll wait. The third reason is that the National Lacrosse League wants to have a major presence at the NCAA tournament over the May long weekend. They're saying they want to allow it to be, you know, on its own. They don't want to coincide with it. I get that. They don't want to lose fans for that reason. So there's going to be an extra week off. And we talk about it at nausea from when we announce the award winners and we have to wait all the way until September. People kind of lose interest. They lose track and often forget over that three month span. Now I know it's only a week, but when you give that break between the finals, the divisional finals and the finals, it's a two week break. That's a lot of time to not be playing a lacrosse game and then have to pick back up and hope you gain momentum. So I understand some of the reasonings why the National Lacrosse League is doing what they've done in waiting until the start of June to have their postseason, or sorry, to have their championship series. 
But I think the way that they've gone about it and the way they're doing it is going to hurt. You could easily do a Friday-Saturday back-to-back or a Thursday-Saturday, Friday-Sunday, something. Do the two games in one weekend. Then if you need that third game, you can do it on a back-to-back or on the following weekend. Like, But to have that two-week break, I'm just not sure if it's going to be the right thing. And, you know, for the team that hosts game two, they actually get like three weeks to sell that game. So... It'll be interesting to see how this works out for the National Lacrosse League. I understand they don't want to coincide with the NCAA Finals. That is a pretty big fan base to in pretty big event trying to be trying to compete with. And I understand that they want to kind of have their presence there and try to drum up some business while they were there. So we'll see. Um, Speaking of presences of the Nash Lacrosse League, the third annual Lacrosse Summit is coming to Boston. It will take place on Friday the 26th ahead of the NCAA Men's and Women's Lacrosse Championships. Commissioner Nick Sakevich will be in attendance, as will Ashley Dabb. And they will be part of a plethora of lacrosse people speaking about the world of lacrosse, how to help grow the game of lacrosse, the business side of it, and everything in between. And tickets are on sale. You can get a professional ticket or a student ticket. They are quite pricey. However, um, there are talks all day long. Um, Some of the names that will be in attendance, uh, Sue Byrne, the Associate Athletic Director from Harvard, Ashley Dabb, the CMO of the NLL, uh, Terry Foy from Inside Lacrosse, Ian Fournette, the president of the Boston Cannons, John St. Pierre, the CEO and co-founder of Legacy Global Sports, Joe Vassallo, senior coordinating producer of ESPN, the assistant commissioner for the Big East Conference, Katie Willett, and many more. Now, I talk about this mainly because of two things. One, uh, a gentleman by the name of Joseph Sai will be in attendance. And if you don't know who Joe Sai is, I highly recommend you Google him. Uh, He is one of the co-founders of Alibaba. And no, West Coasters, I'm not talking about the pizza chain. Alibaba is the world's largest e-commerce company. It is the Asian Amazon. And it is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. Josai is a... Taiwanese Canadian businessman and as mentioned the founder co-founder and vice chairman of the Alibaba group he is worth 4.9 billion dollars according to Forbes he went to Lawrenceville school uh, played lacrosse there and has an undergrad degree at Yale and played lacrosse at Yale so he knows the game he knows international business And he has a strong, strong passion for the game of lacrosse. And I think we might be hearing more from Joseph Sai. 
in years to come. The other interesting note that comes from this lacrosse summit is that the two commissioners of the two biggest lacrosse leagues in the world will be there at the same time. And not only are they just going to be there at the same time, they're going to be on stage at the same time. For a talk called Growing the Top of the Pyramid, described as the commissioners of the two pro leagues sit down to discuss the current state of the game and future of pro lacrosse. Um, yes, I have a question. Yes, me? Okay, cool. Um, why can't you two figure it out? You have the floor. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when these two gentlemen get on stage and have to talk about why the two leagues can't coexist. Because it is something that is hurting our game, both indoors and outdoors. And it is something that needs to change quickly. Because we need, as everyone says, and we've said on the show, we need the best of the best playing all the time. And we can't have Joe Walters opting for his contract with the New York Lizards and not playing for the Rochester Nighthawks. We can't have Paul Rabel doing it. We can't have guys like Kyle Hartzell doing it. And at the same time, the Canadians, like, the Canadian players, they want to play MLL too. Logan Schuss and Curtis Dixon have signed MLL contracts, and I'm sure there's going to be more. Mark Matthews will probably play in the summer ball, or sorry, in the MLL. Noble, the Noble brothers could possibly play. There's so many guys that have the ability to play both, and yet with this crossover, oftentimes they have to choose. And some choose the indoor game, some choose the outdoor game, and some have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to stick with the indoor game, and then once my season's done, then I'll come play with you. See, if that's okay, but it's that, you know, three, four, five weeks, six weeks of crossover that hurts some guys. Because if Calgary or Vancouver were, would still be playing, obviously Dixon and or Shuss wouldn't be playing outdoor. So it's going to be interesting to see when those two gentlemen are on stage at the same time and they have to, you know, talk about growing the top of the pyramid when they can't even together work at growing the top of the pyramid. So that's one of the sit-down conversation panel topics um, that I would like to be out there, there for. Uh, some of the other topics, uh, what's next for sports media, the business of events, women going pro in sports, and maximizing revenue selling lacrosse. So uh, if you're in the Boston area or you are heading out for the NCAA Final Four, the big tournament out in Boston in a few weeks, and you can get to the Lacrosse Industry Summit. Tickets are still available, and you can pick them up. You can go to insidelacrosse.com slash summit for your registration. Before we get out of here, um, summer ball's here. It's not summer, but hey, summer ball's here. 
the BC Junior League has been well underway for almost two weeks now, maybe three. The Ontario Junior League just started up. Uh, the WLA gets going on Friday as the Shamrocks open up the season at home against Langley. On Sunday, the 28th, so that's two weeks basically from now, uh, Oakville will visit Coburg for the first game of the MSL. And while the junior leagues are still waiting for most of their players to get back from college, uh, the senior ranks are waiting for most of their players to get back from the pro leagues. But uh, the junior leagues are well underway. We've seen some goalie fights already, as we saw last week between Whitby and Orangeville. We've seen the Burnaby Lakers come out of nowhere and win some games. We've seen Delta upset Coquitlam for their first regular season loss in gosh knows how long. So if you need a fix, there is still plenty of lacrosse to be watched. Play full screen for all your West Coast needs. Even some of the Alberta games will be on play full screen. Ontario games, still not a whole lot. Hopefully, JVI will be broadcasting some games on YouTube or off their website, but Ontario teams just really don't like to broadcast their games. Some news out of the WLA, because it's what I'm closest to, obviously. Uh, the Victoria Shamrocks have announced the return of Aaron Bold, Steve Priolo. Uh, they signed Mike Triolo, uh, and a few other names um, are coming back. Uh, there is rumbles out of Maple Ridge that they are going to be making a bit of a splash that they feel will make them uh, a top contender out west. Obviously, they've already made some moves in acquiring Jeff Cornwall. Uh, Burnaby's been making some moves. We still don't really know if Mark Matthews is going to report. Uh, early initial reports were that he was. Um, and now sounds like he may have gotten a city job back east, so not sure if he'll be a member of the Burnaby Lakers or not. Uh, New West is making some moves. Sounds like Zach Haywires is going to play for them this year. So it's going to be another interesting season out West. Um, the Man Cup is out West this year, so teams slowly starting to stack up and find some of those pieces that will help them dethrone the Maple Ridge Berards. Yes, that is a thing. The Maple Ridge Berards are the defending WLA champions. And you know what? They deserved it last year. All kudos to them as much as I joke. Um, they deserved it. They were the best team in the WLA last year, and um, everyone will be trying to knock them down. So uh, the WLA gets going on Friday, uh, WLALacrosse.com for all your information, or you can go to PlayfulScreen.com for all of the webcasts. And for the Major Series League, just go to MajorSeriesLax.blogspot.ca. And that should put a wrap on another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Thank you to Adam Jones and to Jordan McIntosh for stopping by and giving us some time this week. And as always, thanks to you, the devoted listener and fan, for checking out the show. If you want to find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. If you are in Saskatoon, I will be there. I will be sitting in the stands with my good buddy Harrison Bourdon. Uh, he is a converted Rush fan. I am a Mammoth fan. We have a big bet and a growing rivalry. So we will be at the game. Would love to see all the Rush fans out. If you see me, high fives are always free. That'll do it. As always, if 
you can get out to the games. If you go to the game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun you will have, too. Until next week, enjoy the games and be excellent to each other.